it feels good in a way to discuss something normal, to discuss something that even through a pandemic, even through the different and weird times that we're in, every time Syracuse basketball, air quotes, misses on a recruit, Syracuse fans come out of the woodwork and say the same things. So I actually was glad to be in Twitter fights all weekend with trolls and hear some of the same nonsense that I hear from fans. No matter who the recruit is, no matter what the situation is, even though, as Uncle Brand has tried to tell you many times on the show, no two stories of two recruits are the same. Now, if you want to make sweeping generalizations about things, look at trends, look at observations, look at how Syracuse has been the last five or six years and say that they haven't got every player they needed to. That's fair. If you want to look at Syracuse basketball and look at the results on the court, look at who you feel like they should be getting and analyze that, I'm here for that conversation. Recruiting is the lifeblood of any college basketball program, any college football program, right? We talk about it all the time with our buddy Mike McAllister and other guests that we have on the program, Mike Waters and Goody and who was on with uh, Rain today. Rainzilla. It's obvious that we have to talk about recruiting. But through all of it, even though no two stories are the same, I will always have this opinion. You can never get too high or too low about any recruit. Any recruit. No one recruit is ever going to derail your program or no one recruit is ever going to... Now, you can have a lot of success. I think Carmelo Anthony comes to mind, right? The ultimate one done, the ultimate example of the modern recruit, and a player, recruit-turned-player, who wins championship and continues to have an impact on the program to this day, right? So there are examples and exceptions to all rules. I mean, Carmelo Anthony has meant so much to Syracuse basketball. Pearl Washington before him. But the list is short of these transcendent recruits, transcendent recruits, pardon me. These recruits that just com- are complete game changers. There's only so many of those on the list. It doesn't, it's not like a, you know, renewing your license every 10 years. The trick with recruiting, to use a baseball term, is even the best hitters in the world, the sharpest batters in Major League Baseball, hit the baseball. Three out of ten times. The trick in recruiting is not to be a home run hitter. The trick in recruiting is to be a steady doubles hitter. To be a leadoff or second guy in the batting order. Because when all you're doing is swinging for the fence, you're going to miss way more than you're going to hit. And again, there's exceptions to those rules. There's home run hitters, particularly in the juiced ball, dead ball era that we're in in baseball, right? the performance-enhancing era that we are in, though not as prevalent as it was 10, 15 years ago. Look, we all know something's been going on in baseball the past few years. The way the game has changed. So I'm bringing way too many baseball examples into this, but never get too high or too low on one recruit, particularly. And I don't want this to be any offense to the young man. I wish, so the latest example, which was a strange example in this whole discussion, because it's one thing when you are tracking a five-star, off-the-charts, everybody-wants-them player, right? 
Syracuse recently got a commitment from Dior Johnson. Five-star player, top five recruit overall. Not in his state, although that's on the list. Not just at his position, overall. Composite rankings, you name it, he is a game changer. He is a everybody-wants-him player. In the class of 2022, he is committed to Syracuse. Now, even that comes with an asterisk because if the one-and-done rule changes in the NBA, that may change his approach on things, but everything he's said so far are the things you want to hear. So they got that guy. They had that guy two years ago with Darius Baisley. Passed all the tests. The stargazers, as I like to call them in recruiting, the people that are obsessed with stars and rankings. They haven't had a top 15 class in this many years and all the usual things that come no matter who the player is, right? Which will bring me back to, well, no two recruiting stories are the same. Well, we can talk about recruiting generally. You've got to look at each individual case. So the story of Quincy Ballard, was an interesting one because a week ago, 90% of you had never heard of him. Maybe you remembered him at Henniger, local kid, a couple of years ago, right? So to say that in Syracuse, New York, it depends on the context of the conversation. Maybe you had heard of him, but you certainly did not associate him with going to Syracuse a month ago. Think how different the world was a month ago. So it shows you how rapidly things can change in a month. But a month ago, you know how many Division I offers this kid had? As many as you and I have. Unless uh, there's certain recruits out there listening, and if so, we appreciate that. But as many as 99% of the people in the audience of this show have. None. He's a late bloomer, class of 2020. He's a seven-foot center. Now, it is interesting. It is noteworthy, and it is fair to point out that Syracuse has been aggressively looking for an offensive-minded big man in both this recruiting and, there's a key thing that we're going to get into with this conversation, and the transfer market. The transfer portal has changed how you recruit. The transfer portal has changed everything, and it's only going to change more when that rule inevitably gets passed soon that the one-year waiting period is gone. Basically, every transfer gets a opportunity to do so without the one-year waiting period. Free pass. So the way you recruit, how you recruit, the type of player you look for, despite the rankings and the stars next to their name, change has changed and will continue to change on a daily basis. But Ballard was interesting. Syracuse offered this kid Wednesday. Like last week. They got in on him. So it comes down to the final schools. You know their routine. And he has kind of a different way to do it these days, a socially distanced press conference in his driveway and announces he's going to Florida State. So inevitably, every time Syracuse, air quotes, misses on a recruit, well, the Twitter brigade goes nuts and says all the same things. Hey, Payon can't recruit no more. Syracuse basketball going down the toilet. Like, just everything. When you look at it, and you're like, well, how big of a miss is this? Again, they wanted Patrick Tepe. They put their name in the hat for Matt Harms. They have been looking for, honestly, they've been looking for a quality scoring big man for years and haven't been able to get him. Certainly they would like that position to improve while 
Barama Sidibe was terrific down the stretch, you wouldn't exactly peg him as an offensive-minded big man, somebody you'd run offensive plays for. Maybe Jesse Edwards will get there. Maybe John Bolajak will get there. But the writing's on the wall. The position of need on this roster is guard. There's only three on the team, and only two of them currently on the roster, with Kadari Richmond to come in the fall, who I think is a terrific recruit, and I think is going to play right away, and I think people are really going to be impressed with. So I understand the Syracuse fan looking at it. Well, obviously, they need a player at this position, even though the roster would indicate they're good at the position. I'm, and I'm fair. I'm, I think it's fine, and I'm fair with you saying, well, they got to get somebody there. Think how good they were when Rakeem Christmas. And that team didn't even make the tournament because there was self-imposed ban. They went 18-13 and 13 overall. But when you think about the offensive-minded big man in college basketball, if Isaiah Stewart had committed to Syracuse, right? What a game-changing player that is for that team. I understand those conversations. But the simple fact of the matter is, I have no idea if Quincy Ballard's that guy, nor do you. It's not worth flipping out over every single recruit. Particularly a guy who, if you knew his name a week ago, it's because you went to a Henniger basketball game in the past few years. You're like, oh yeah, I remember that guy. So to take the usual angst and and all the criticism and all the same things that you say and apply it to this player makes no sense to me. None. I get the disappointment when you've been chasing an Isaiah Stewart for weeks, when you've been chasing a Quade Green for weeks, when you've been chasing fill-in-the-blank flavor of the week and don't get them. But the simple fact of the matter is recruiting never stops. The wheel keeps spinning. And what I will always say about this is when it's time to freak out, when it's time to be concerned, when it's time to reel, and I'm not saying that the staff is absolved of criticism here. You've got to land some big fish. You've got to get in on that game. See, the thing is, they have. I mentioned Dior Johnson. If they didn't get Joe Girard, you and I both know that the Twitter brigade and the Syracuse fans out there and whatever forum they would be in would be flipping out. I bet I can't keep players in New York State. So you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Those same fans, by the way, are now critical because Joe plays too much. Which there's some wiggle room in that conversation, to be honest with you. But it's like if you want to be miserable and you want to complain and you want to find fault in something, you're going to find it, right? That's just how this works. They did miss on some of those players and others that I didn't recently. Andre Jackson comes to mind, right? Like just it keeps going. If you want to go back into history, we've had this conversation. They didn't get that Julius Hodge. Yeah, but they got Hakeem Warwick. He was okay. They didn't get that Stephon Marbury. Yeah, well, they got Lazarus Sims, and he took them to the Final Four. They got Winford Walton. Let's go old school, baby. 1996, right? Now, he flamed out for different reasons beyond basketball, academic qualifying, and there was a life story there. But the point being... He was a top 10 McDonald's All-American, gotta have him guy. They got him. Didn't work. That's why being the steady doubles hitter is what you need. That's why batting 300 is what you do. And I think, by and large, Syracuse does. I think smart fans realize you are going to miss a hell of a lot more than you're going to hit in recruiting. It's finding the right players for what you do.
And then we have nuanced conversations about how often they play and why. Because, to be fair, Jalen Carey, top 100 player, here for two years, gone. Bryson Goodine, top 100 player, here for a year, gone. Those were players that checked all the boxes, four-star guys, and I'm not saying them specifically, but when you look at their, if I just put it in front of you without a name on it, okay, this is a top 100 player at this position, checks all these boxes, composite ranking, this and that. Yeah, that sounds like a guy I'd want. Okay. They left because they weren't getting what recruits want, playing time. But you also have to remember, players have more leverage these days. You're not going to play me? Okay, I'll go in the transfer portal. So you can take that and say, well, Bayheim's got to adjust to that and play these guys more and figure it out and not, you know, ride your starting backcourt 38, 39 minutes a game. We can have that conversation. We can. But, again, Quincy Ballard, don't take this the wrong way. I hope you go to Florida State and dominate. But no recruit is worth completely flipping out because you missed out. Are you kidding? He's in your own backyard. You can't even keep him here? You don't get all of them. It's that simple. God forbid the kid wants to go where he feels is best for him. Oh, yeah, they, they're they're part of this process. They're part of this decision-making. And, again, it'd be one thing if he didn't even offer the kid, if he didn't even try and get in on him. But they did. To me, the big concern is when you're not even in these conversations, when it has been pick a period of time where you haven't even been on a final list of a player. And that's not to say recruiting can't improve. It always can. But you got to measure it based on what your expectation is. You've got to measure it based on what the program is. You've got to measure it based on when you look at these recruiting rankings, whether you like it or not, whether it hurts your ego or not, Syracuse fans, once Duke and Kansas and Carolina and a few other programs have had their pick, then it's your turn. Once in a while, you slip in there and you get a guy like a Dior Johnson that would be on the high list of those schools. But that's the exception to the rule. You recruit a certain type. You recruit to think of the long players that Syracuse wants, the system to which they recruit by. If you just go by rankings and numbers and you just – pull out the 247 rankings, be like, okay, we're going to go after these 10 guys right here. Well, I think we know it doesn't work that way. So we have this opportunity, and here I am on the radio doing it, but on sports talk radio, on social media, whatever the case may be, to immediately express our opinion on this. You just got to ask yourself, was it worth completely freaking out about? Was it worth lumping in? this latest recruiting decision with some of the other big misses, or do you simply recognize that's recruiting, you miss on some, who's the next guy? The season doesn't start tomorrow. And again, as we'll talk about more in the next segment, the transfer portal is changing the game here. Completely changing the game. We're going to chat with a three-time captain of your Syracuse Football Orange, a finalist for the Ray Guy Award, one of the best punters in Syracuse football history now, Waiting for the NFL draft, like all of us, right? But uh, certainly in his case, it's a little different. Let's bring him on. Sterling Hoffrichter on the block ESPN Radio. Sterling, how are you, man? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Great to uh, have you on. And uh, I think as we ask everybody these days, uh, how are you riding out the uh, great uh, coronavirus uh, quarantine of 2020 so far? 
doing well so far. I mean, just trying to get schoolwork done and trying to get at home and I'm on Saturday's players. So uh, how do you get out? I, I saw, I think it was on your Instagram or something, Sterling, that you're playing some golf, too, which is nice. I know you're a big golf guy, but, yeah, just tell me about... Now, you've got a unique perspective on this because you've done some homeschooling in the past, so this this is not new to you to have to do school at home, but still pretty unique to do college online. Tell me how that works. Yeah, it's been going well. I mean, all my classes, a lot of them, we kind of basically Zoom call for class and that's basically how college goes now to do that. And then since we're at the end of the semester, starting to get a lot of projects that are due and tests. So just trying to figure that out um, as we continue on this weird path. How have you been working out, and uh, what's that been like as, as we get closer and closer to the draft here? Yeah, I've been kind of doing a lot of stuff at home. Like I have medicine balls and stuff like that. So I've been kind of doing explosive work at home as much as I can. Um, been using my pool for like some type of pool workout every once in a while, and then just really just staying flexible, just continuing to stretch and kind of just trying to stay as healthy as possible. How has this process been for you, Sterling? Take me through the combine and the interviews and and everything, and then of course everything changed about a month ago for everybody in sports. And and what's that process been like since then with everything you've been doing to get ready for the draft? Right. So I went out to um, LA at the beginning of January to do the NFL PA game. So I did that, and I came back to Q's for a couple of weeks. And I was kind of in and out all, all semester doing some training um, around the country, just trying to work on my craft, get better. And then, of course, went to the NFL Combine for a week, had fun there, learned a lot, and uh, performed pretty well. So, And then I kind of had some had private workouts that were set up, but and because of coronavirus, those all got canceled, so... Just trying to do the best I can to get some video and kind of send it to as many coaches as possible. Who are some of the teams you've had the opportunity to talk with? Uh, so, like, at the NFL Combine, we talked to pretty much everybody there. But the main teams, I mean, I've been talking to like, the Jets, the Bills, um, the Falcons, Lions, and then some other teams as well. So just kind of all around trying to figure out, you know, who who's the best opportunity for me. Uh, Sterling, you had come from a lineage here. It's it's almost become punter you here at Syracuse, but I would imagine uh, you've been in contact with Riley Dixon, who's, who's kicking in the NFL right now, and if so, what kind of advice has he given you? Yes, yeah, so actually, before all this happened, uh, he was, of course, back in New York, and he came out to Syracuse a couple times, and I played with him some, so I got um, some knowledge for, about the NFL combine before I headed out there. So that was super helpful, and then just kind of working with someone who's currently in, in the NFL and obviously performing really well was super helpful to kind of watch his form in person and get some advice from him. You've got a unique craft there, and as a golfer, you know, it's it's uh, being a punter is, is kind of like a golf swing in a way and the mechanics of it and how it works. Do, do those two things correspond? And Tell me about being a punter and, and, and the unique approach you have to take. Yeah, it's definitely different. I mean, as a punter, too, you're going out there when your team's not performing well, so it's such a weird circumstance to go out there when the offense is coming off the field and you know the fans aren't very happy because you're not getting first downs or whatever. So it's definitely a weird circumstance there. And then it's just so much that you can't just go out there and just try to kill the ball as hard as you can. It's kind of it's kind of like playing golf where you're using kind of like different clubs, figuring out different kinds of shots you want to play, and just trying to take the return man out of the game as much as possible. 
How did you get into it? I know when you were little, uh, I was reading a great story that my colleague Nate Mink wrote about you at Syracuse.com. I know you broke your leg when you were, what, seventh grade, I believe, and you were playing football then, and growing up in Florida, I know Tim Tebow was was kind of uh, somebody you looked up to, but when did you make that full transition into being a punter? I think all throughout youth football, I think I started when I was about 10, I kind of kicked and punted for my team, and then once I broke my leg in seventh grade, um, in practice, I kind of was like, you know what, I'm just going to kick. So it's great here. That's all I did. And then I got to high school, and then that's all I did in high school as well because my high school team was um, tremendous team, tremendous program. I think we just got ranked the number four team in the state of Florida over this past decade. So if that says anything, that's the kind of talent that we have at the high school. So really, even if I wanted to, there was like no shot of me playing another position. So I just kind of focused on kicking and punting as much as I could and kind of worked out for me. Sterling Hoffrichter is our guest, former Syracuse punter, getting ready for the NFL draft coming up here in just a couple of weeks, and we're, we're all uh, certainly anticipating the draft. Live sports, new sports, something something unique these days. <laughs> Sterling, uh, when you uh, were growing up in Florida, I know that uh, Tim Tebow was kind of a, you know, somebody you look up to, but who, in as a punter, once you got serious about punting, who were some of the people maybe you modeled your game after? I mean, it's like I kind of went after a couple of different people. I tried to kind of pick certain things from certain people and kind of make that my own. But really, the main person I kind of started getting, like, my punting after was Riley as soon as I got to Syracuse. Um, just, like, his form and the way he taught me over the first season I was there when I registered behind him just kind of helped me tremendously. I saw great results. I kind of continued to stick with it and, even now, like I'll go and kind of watch his film, um, and then like last uh, last offseason, I watched NFL film over the summer. So I watched a bunch of the main punters, the people that have been around forever, such as like Brett Kerr and the Titans and Thomas Morstead with the Saints. So I kind of would see what they do well and try to see how I could implement that into my game to make myself the best punter I can be. So, Sterling, as you get ready for the NFL draft, uh, as you know, uh, punter is a unique position. You kind of have to wait it out. They usually start going later in the draft. So what, what's been your approach? What's your plan about kind of watching the draft and, and, and where you think your position could be if you get picked? And if not, you'll be in that position of being a, a free agent where you'll kind of get to pick where you go. So what's been the plan? What have you worked out so far about approaching the draft and when uh, draft day comes? Right, there's still a lot to kind of work out overall, but you know, just kind of have fun with my family and friends that are gonna kind of come hang out at my house and kind of keep a small little little party celebration thing going. Cause it's just a cool experience to go through whether you get drafted or not. So, um, just kind of enjoy the time and kind of see if I get picked up on Saturday or if I kind of gotta wait till after the draft and figure out where I'm gonna go from there. I know you'll go wherever you're picked. You mentioned some of the teams that you've been talking to. Some are outdoors. Uh, Buffalo in December is fun, and some were some indoor teams. But coming from Syracuse, having played you know half the season of, of every season you play indoors, did you kind of have to convince some teams that, no, you can do this. I, I, can, I can kick in an outdoor environment in the wind, in the rain, in the snow if needed. Yeah, I think some teams question that. But, I mean, even if you look at some others, um, no, you know, like universities, like the ones down in Florida, I mean, they always they play out their games in warm weather, which helps tremendously with punting and kicking. So 
I mean, everyone kind of has their advantages and disadvantages when it comes to, like, the atmosphere that they play in. So I think overall it's just kind of just, – just look at kind of how their punt form is and if you, if you think they can, you know, excel at the next level. Sterling, you go back uh, to Riley. You go back to Rob Long before that yourself. So who is next here? What do we know about James Williams, the incoming recruit from Georgia? And is punter you going to continue to have that mark here going forward? Okay, well, I mean, he's a, he's a great kid. Um, kind of reminds me a lot of me that he was uh, quiet at first, and then once you kind of get to know him, he begins to open up. So um, it's something I really, really like about him. Um, so he's not going to kind of come in and, you know, he's going to come in really humble and continue to work at his craft and just try to get, you know, to be as good as he can be. And I don't know, I think he'll, I think he'll do really well at Syracuse. What do you think about Syracuse football going forward here, Sterling? I know it wasn't the season you wanted a year ago, and – now uh, this team's been put in the unique perspective of they didn't have spring ball. They had, like, what, two days of spring ball before it got canceled, and they're kind of in a holding pattern right now. But that aside, once they get playing again and, and everything comes out of coronavirus and, and they're playing football, w- what are the steps? How does Syracuse football recover in 2020? Well, I mean, everyone's kind of in the same situation. I don't think anybody really got their, their spring ball done besides I think there's one team I heard that kind of started super early, but... I mean, so everyone's kind of in the same boat with everything, so there's no really real advantage to this whole thing. But I think Syracuse will, you know, will rebound really well. And I think last year was definitely a learning experience for a lot of the younger guys. So um, they can see that, you know, it's not it's not easy when football games. So I think they're going to have a chip on their shoulders next year. And you know, I think I think we'll uh, we'll just see how the season goes. But I mean, I. I like what could be what's going on out there, and I think we got some great players, great athletes. Sterling Cook, uh, kicking in the dome, and it's going to be different when the new roof's in there and the new look comes in in the fall. But in, in the past four years here, you look up and there's certain speakers and things hanging from the roof, and as somebody that can kick the ball far, you must have said, boy, I can hit that. I can do this. Did you Did you ever get to do that? In a practice or something, you know, kind of fooling around on the side. Did you ever hit one of those speakers or you know get something in the dome where you're like, man, that I think I can get that with one of my kicks? Yeah, I think we we try to quite a bit whenever we go in there. Um, we try to see if we could hit it, and I think a couple of my footballs have gotten up to that height during practice or warm ups or whatever. But it's like such a small kind of target up there that's hard to kind of hit it, but. I've definitely tried to, and I don't know, maybe if I ever get back into the dome one day, I'll try again. Sterling, it has been uh, interesting to watch you do your thing at Syracuse and have the success you've had, but then you have a guy like Andre Schmidt come around as well, who you know wins the Lou Groza Award in his freshman season, has certainly established himself as one of the better kickers just in two years in you know in recent memory at Syracuse and you go back there's some decent kickers in the history of Syracuse we talk about the 44 and some other positions there's been some great kickers here too what's in the special teams water here how come kickers are starting to the flood back to Syracuse I mean for me personally the dome that kind of caught my attention just the fun fact of playing in a dome because there's no other school in the country that you can really do that at so that was one thing that I really loved it. I think that's kind of what's going to continue to bring some great specialists to Syracuse University, especially with a new roof going in. I wish I wish I would have gone in a little sooner so I could have played in it, but I think it's going to be a cool atmosphere to, to continue to kick in. 
Well, Sterling, we wish you the best of luck. We'll be watching uh, during the NFL draft coming up here. And even if not, I know you'll be in a camp somewhere this summer pursuing your NFL dream. Enjoy it. Uh, make the best of it. I know we're in kind of a, a weird uh, sports world, and the world itself is weird right now. But the uh, best of luck and continued success to you. Let's catch up down the road when you're kicking in the NFL, okay? Sounds good. Thank you so much.